in this episode with Sarah Devereaux. For the past eight and a half years, um, I've been the Oceania Pacific Director of Training at Coach Masters Academy. Um, we've trained thousands of coaches, both well, and leaders and managers and transformative coaching. And I think something that I really learned through that experience was like not caring so much what other people thought and like just trusting myself and backing myself. I remember my mum called me afterwards and was like, we just had this woman come in and do this amazing life coaching with our office. I can see you doing something just like that. And I had no idea there was even a thing called life coaching. And they used to play all these positive cassette tapes in the car. And all the, you know, I, I guess I'm reflecting now, there was probably quite a bit of like subliminal messages that came through that I must have adopted. Um, I know how successful you've been in your own right uh, as, a, as a coach internationally qualified and we'll get to that, that stuff soon. But I'm really interested in um, some things I don't know about you, which is your childhood and what that was like and where you've come from. So can you talk to us about that, about who, who you were as a child and what your upbringing was? So I grew up on the North Shore in Auckland. I'm half American, um, so my mum is from New York and my father is a Kiwi. Um, and, yeah, my, my mother grew up from a Jewish background and my father actually used to be a priest, a Catholic priest, and they met over in New York and... Um, yeah, obviously my father's not in the priesthood anymore, um, being that, you know, he's married and had children. Um, but, yeah, we grew up in kind of an agnostic-type um, setting and we're kind of, I guess, um, encouraged to form our own beliefs and connect with our own values and things like that. Right. Um, so I have an older brother. And it's always, yeah, always a bit interesting, I guess, with a, with a big brother and a younger sister dynamic. He's quite um, out, outgoing and um, loved to be the centre of attention. So I did mostly take a bit of a back seat, I guess, as a child. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I really grew into myself more 
um, through teenagehood and um, especially when my now husband and I fell pregnant with our eldest, who is now 14 and a half, um, but, you know, high school sweethearts turned into teen parents. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I guess it really made us both grow up relatively quickly. Yeah. So what were we? What was? So so if you can, well, I'll come back to that. Yeah. Because I think that's a it's a big part of your life, obviously, right? Um, mm. But if we can go back a little bit to what was school like? Mm. What were you like at school? What kind of character were you? Yeah. Um, you know, what kind of personality? If we could watch a video now of Sarah, what would we see? Well, I always remember myself being quite kind. Um, and gentle, I think, as a as a child. Mm. Um, I had a small group of friends, and then, yeah, in high school, kind of, yeah, got thrown into quite a big school where I didn't know anybody, so I could kind of start afresh. Mm. Um, and, yeah, for me it was, yeah, about kind of just having like a, yeah, a close group of friends that I really connected with. I used to play a bit of sport. Um, I did a little bit of drama, a bit of acting. Right. Um, but so when you say you, you went to a, a bigger school, sort of, you know, thrown in with lots of other kids that you didn't know, did you did you move somewhere or did you, yeah. you know, like did you transition from school with your friends to the same high school or college or whatever or did you move away and therefore that was what the change was? Yeah, so we did move. We were still on the North Shore, but um, I went to Rangitoto College, which back then I think was the biggest school in the country. So, um, yeah, there were a lot of kids there. Mm. And I guess in a way I could kind of create my identity in this new school because I didn't know anyone. So I think during teenage years I did become a bit more outgoing, um, and, yeah, I could just kind of figure out, I guess, as you do at that age, who am I and how do I want to show up as in this world? And who, who were you? Who did you want to show up as? You know, what, was your, what were your thoughts back then about who you wanted to be mm. as a person growing up? Can you, can you recall any of that? Yeah, I definitely wanted to be more outgoing. Um, and I remember consciously actually putting an effort to, you know, make more friends and um, connect with more people. So, yeah, intentionally I did decide to, to do that, which um, kind of helped, I guess, in high school, getting into, you know, the sorts of groups that you probably want to be in at high school. Um, but, yeah, I guess there's quite a bit that comes along with that, yeah, right? Yeah. So was that because... You mentioned something about your brother, and how, so how much older was your brother? He was three years older. Okay, so and he was obviously a character. Mm-hmm. Um, Still and is. <laughs> you took a back. I think you maybe took a back seat. You said or something like that. Terms to that mm. effect. Um, so were you as a as a younger child a bit more shy and yeah. less outgoing? Is that what? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. right. All right. And so in high school, you decided to make that change was there something that triggered that for you or was there you know what was it in your mind that 
that happened that you thought, actually, I'm not going to be quiet and shy anymore. I'm going to be a bit more outgoing. Was it was something that triggered that? Yeah, I think it was just more um, an opportunity to start afresh, mm. going from an intermediate that, you know, maybe one or two other kids from my intermediate went to that high school. Mm. Um, nobody knew me, so I could kind of create a bit of um, an identity of who I wanted to show up as as mm. a teenager. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, I guess at that age you kind of, you know, you want to be liked, you want to be approved of, mm. um, you want to have friends. Mm. And so, yeah, I guess it was just quite a, um, I don't know the word, but, it, yeah, it was just really intentional around, all right, this is how I'm going to show up mm. at mm. high school and let's just kind of see how this evolves. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I think, you know, when you're a, a young teenager, you know, 13 or so, it's quite a poignant age where we are starting to find out who am I in this world? Who do I want to be in this world? Mm. And so, you know, upon reflection, um, yeah, I was very decisive, I guess, <laughs> at that time. Mm. Yeah. Did you have any thoughts about... I can only speak from you know from my um, personal experience on this. I mean, I, I grew up knowing what I wanted to be mm. um, from the age of about five or six. Yeah, I, I don't have any personal recollection of that, but I was I've been told by family that I was talking about that at about five or six, and then that's that was my focus in life. Did you have any of that? Did you know what yeah. you wanted to be when you sort of grew up? I mean, I'm still growing up. <laughs> still don't know. Um, but did you have any ideas back then about what you wanted to do with your life? Yeah. Well, interesting that you say that because I do recall we used to kind of sometimes drive past the Bombay Hills coming out of Auckland on a trip. And my parents actually brought this up to me um, a while, a little while ago and they said, do you remember that you used to say that you wanted to run like a woman's centre where people would go horse riding and women would be looked after and there'd be massages? And um, and when they told me that, I was like, wow, really interesting because it's kind of brought me to where I am now actually holding women's retreats. Mm. I don't own a centre yet. Mm. But, um, yeah, I guess that that kind of that care for others has always been in me. Yeah. And um, So almost kind of subliminally you've kind of been on a path that's taken you to where you yeah. were talking about when you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, eh? It is interesting upon reflection. Yeah, yeah. So did you was, – was there a reason that you were – I mean, obviously, if, if you didn't really recall that, your parents reminded you of it, but you know, was was there any awareness of why you wanted to do that back then when you were younger? I don't recall, to be honest. Um, yeah, I just I can just remember in my mind, I guess, the the vision of seeing this really beautiful house and horses around it as we were driving through and, 
yeah, I just mentioned to them that, oh, I'd love to own something like this one day and hold. I didn't know they were called retreats back then, Mm. Um, but I really wanted a space for people to be able to kind of be nurtured and to, yeah, be looked after Mm. and, yeah, just do things for themselves, I think. So. That's quite cool that you've you found yourself doing that now. Eh? Yeah, yeah, it is really very good. cool. So what what um, when you were a teenager at school, then, right, and you're going through this kind of I'll, I'll, I'll call it a bit of a transition, but you know, mm. um, an awakening maybe of actually I'm going to decide who I'm going to be. Mm. Um, you know, what were, what were your sort of aspirations then as a as a teenager? Did you have any kind of goals, or I'm going to leave school and do this, or I'm actually just going to see what where things go? What what was your attitude towards that stuff then? Yeah, um, I don't think I knew exactly what I wanted to be um, as such. I did always do really well in health, um, Hayora, and um, yeah, I remember always receiving excellences in that class, which was all around like mental, emotional, Mm -hmm. physical, spiritual health. And I didn't think anything of it at the time, but that is, I guess, me doing really well at something and finding something really interesting. It's, that in itself has kind of followed me through. Mm. Um, although at the time I had no idea, you know, what could even be a career out of that. Yeah. It was just something that I really seemed to get a lot out of. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so talk us through your... Um, path into, you know, from school into your career? How did, mm. how did that come about? Yeah. So after I finished high school, I had a gap year mm. and um, got a job working at the bank. Right. And um, I actually did really, really well. I won a whole bunch of like sales awards and things like that. So I thought, okay, that's, you know, naturally I must be good at speaking to people in sales, which was cool. Um, And then I ended up falling pregnant um, during that gap year. And I I went on maternity leave and I realised at that time that I never actually wanted to work for anybody again. I wanted to do my own thing. And both my parents had always been um, entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and had um, kind of ran their own businesses, worked their own hours and things like that. So it didn't feel um, like something that I couldn't do. Mm. I mean, I'd seen my parents do it, so obviously I thought I could do it. Yeah. Um, so I didn't go back to school. Oh, sorry, back to ASB Bank, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> I... Um, I ended up going to uni and studying marketing and business um, as well as studying to become a life coach. And the reason that I got into coaching was I went to all of these young mums groups and I just saw these young women who had already kind of put themselves into a box of, okay, I'm a young mum now, I could never achieve this, or, okay, I'm a young mum, this is kind of, I've fallen into this life now and this is, you know, I guess. They had, essentially they had a lot of limitations 
Um, and I just didn't think like that. And so I decided to train as a life coach and got very much into personal development, kind of reading all the books. And um, it was a time where I decided that actually I want to help youth transition into adulthood. Mm. So that's kind of where I niched myself. Mm. And then the owner of the um, academy who I trained with, she said, do you want to start a branch down here in, or down in Tauranga? And being a naive, I think probably 23-year-old or so at that time, I was like, yeah, sure. So I put all my savings into, um, you know, getting a lease for the office um, and putting some, you know, some of that into marketing and we moved down from Auckland to the Bay. And my husband was playing for the steamers at the time um, and, yeah, it ended up becoming really quite successful. Yeah. Um, so there I was at 23, 24 training all of these people how to become a life coach. Mm. And by this time I had kind of moved up in my credential level through the International Coaching Federation and I'd achieved my PCC. And um, the owner of Coachmasters Academy was looking for somebody to bring Coachmasters into New Zealand, which is an internationally recognised qualification and transformative coaching, which is all about creating, it's it's a generative approach to, to creating change that's sustainable rather than just kind of putting a Band-Aid on something and hoping it will go yeah. away. And so I felt like I'd kind of grown or outgrown Tauranga and doing the work that I was doing and I wanted to actually train throughout all of New Zealand. Um, and so, to my parents' dismay, because <laughs> I think we'd just got a mortgage by this point as well, mm. um, I decided that I was going to go and check out Coachmasters. So I was going, instead of my honeymoon actually, um, I used that money to get on a plane and go and experience this training over, and the particular one that was held was over in Vietnam. Um, Coachmasters is in 40 countries around the world, but this one was over in Vietnam. So I was like, all right, I'm going. I had my tickets booked. And then my mother, who also um, ended up co-training with me um, at the, the, the academy that I was training with before, she decided last minute that she would come along with me to Vietnam. I think she probably didn't want her, <laughs> you know, mid-20-year-old daughter to go off on a plane by herself and experience, you know, something that, you know, might be untoward, you know, she didn't know. And she came and we both experienced it. And the training was like nothing that we had experienced before here in New Zealand. And um, you know, it's a very empirical approach to creating change that's sustainable. And so we were like, okay, let's let's bring it back. And so we did. And um, for the past eight and a half years, um, I've been the Oceania Pacific Director of Training at mm. Coachmasters Academy. 
Um, we've trained thousands of coaches, both well, and leaders and managers in transformative coaching, both in New Zealand um, and also around the world. Mm. And um, I'm now one of four um, MCC credentialed coaches through the International Coaching Federation in New Zealand. And, um, and you were the youngest. And the youngest in the world, yeah. yeah. So I guess I'm quite lucky I fell into this career very early. I've just kind of, yeah, worked my worked my way up. Yeah, lucky or, or know, have you, you know, or my definition of luck, I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but is preparation meets opportunity, mm, you know. So yeah. maybe as we're talking about, you were destined to do this kind of stuff and you've, you know, gone down that path. Yeah. Other people might have missed that. And not seeing the opportunity or not being prepared for it, but mm. you were prepared for it and by all accounts even spent your honeymoon money on going. Now, I need to ask, I've got several things I want to kind of <laughs> unpick from what you said because there's a lot in that passage there of what you're talking about. But one is um, your husband, Dan. Yeah. Um, did you at least take him to Vietnam or did you just spend the honeymoon money by yourself? I spent the honeymoon <laughs> money by myself. But we have actually gone on a honeymoon, although it was, um, yeah, probably about eight years later, we went to Fiji. Right. So yeah. he got one in the end. He did get That's one good. in the end, yes. That's good. I, will, I might circle back around to that because by the sounds of it, there's, there's a good level of support there mm. um, based on what you've just said. Um, the fact that you're still together when you went on your honeymoon by yourself, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that that's an indicative that there's some good support going on. So I'd like to come back to that if I can. But before we do, and without kind of cutting you off kind of in, within your career, we, we'll get back to where you're at mm. right now and what you've achieved over the last eight years. But if we can, I, I think because this is about, you know, life's work is about wisdom worth sharing. Mm. And I'm sure there's probably a lot of things that you've learned along that, that journey from leaving school uh, to where you are now that you know, might be really kind of valuable to hear. And so if, if we can, and um, it seems an obvious place to start really, but it is of personal interest to me because you are, you are a young mum. Mm. And um, I'm interested to, to hear more about that. My mum was the same age as you when she had me. Yeah. And so I'm interested to understand a little bit about... Um, the impact that that had on your life. Mm. Um, I, I, please get, don't, I'll apologise if I'm wrong, but the, I think the way that you said it sounded like it wasn't a planned thing necessarily. And so, you know, that is a big thing in anyone's life, whether it's planned or not, probably particularly if it's not. And so I'm, I'm interested to kind of go back to that time and to talk about you and Dan and, and how that event, right, a wonderful event of your first child being born, um, impacted your life, your relationships. So can you talk to me, are you, you are talking to me a bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So it was definitely a big, quite defining moment in my life and my husband's life. Mm. Um, and you're right, she wasn't planned, although she was the biggest blessing we've mm. ever had. And, yeah, um, I guess it made us grow up really quickly 
and realise, like, we need to get our stuff together um, because if we don't, our life's going to, um, yeah, quite possibly move in a, you know, a negative direction. And, yeah, it was... It it definitely came with its challenges, you know, as young teen parents who, um, like Dan was kind of building his career at the time he was playing for New Zealand under 21s. um, At rugby. At rugby, yep. Um, And, yeah, I mean, it definitely kind of impacted on his career um, in, in the rugby setting because... You know, he was kind of chucked in the deep end. And I think back then they didn't really understand, um, like, mental health that well. Mm. Yeah. So it would have been a tough time for you two young people. Was Dan about the same age as you? or Yeah. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I think he was 20 when we had her. And I was 19. Yeah, fell pregnant at 18. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm sorry for for prying, but I'm genuinely interested because I think this this stuff, you know, it happens. Like I said, my parents were 20 and 19 when when I was born. And, um, you know, I've often thought about asking them. Mum passed away last year, so, you know, I can't now. But I often wondered how it impacted them on, on their lives and what they've, you know, what they went on to to achieve. <clears throat> and, you know, not everybody um, stays together when they're that young and you know, yeah. can have tensions and things um, and, and have an impact in lots of different ways. So, yeah. but, you know, you you guys, so did did your parents, were they supportive and Dan's parents? You know, that can be a big thing as well, can it? You know, the, how the family responds mm. to, to that kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, initially, no. But then once we made the call that we're actually keeping her, then they did become supportive, which was amazing. And I think something that I really learned through that experience was like not caring so much what other people thought and like just trusting myself and backing myself. Um, And I guess being a bit more bold and ballsy with how we have kind of navigated our life. Because when you're a parent, it's like you have to bring in the money so that you can raise a family. So at that age, you know, we had no idea how we were really going to do it. But we have, you know, now we own multiple properties. We've built successful businesses. We're together 17 years later. Um, But at the time, you know, it was like we didn't know exactly what we were going to do um, or how we were going to do it. But that trust in yourself, I think, or the trust that we had in ourselves, I should say, was something that I think really kind of, enabled us to succeed just so there's two things there that i'd like to pick up on one is that you know trusting yourself and, and yourselves as a, as a partnership 
and you know and ha how that um, affects your relationship and strengthens it. But also, you, you mentioned something, and I'm just trying to recall your exact words, so I'll get them wrong. Um, but it was it was about you know not caring or caring less about what other people thought, mm. other people's opinions. Can yeah. you talk to me a bit more about that? Because I think that's quite powerful. I think, and again, speaking from personal experience, a lot of the reasons why we don't do things are fear-based, and the fear is actually mm. what other people think about us. It stops us from doing a lot of things in our lives. So you at that early age, um, going through what you were going through, managed to you know, come to that realization that actually what other people think mm. is, shouldn't impact me or shouldn't have a massive influence on me and my life. Mm. Can you, did you, was that a conscious thing at the time or is it something you can look back on and say, yeah, my attitude changed towards that? But was it a conscious decision that, yeah, I don't really care what people think about me or what I'm doing and what I'm about? I don't think it was conscious. It was more that, you know, hey, you guys are probably already talking about me being a young mum and, you know, like, so it was just more, I guess, like, this is more important, getting our lives together and creating successful lives for this child mm. is more important so I'm going to feel the fear and do it anyway. Mm. And, um, you know, I read a great book a wee while ago called Big Magic and there was this beautiful analogy in there and it talks about fear is always going to be there. But if you can imagine driving in a car, fear is going to come along with you because it always just does. But you put fear in the backseat of the car and it will try and tell you which way to go. It will tell you, you know, to stop. Fear can come. You make friends with fear, but you give it no um, control over the direction that that car is going or the speed in which the car is going. Mm. And you tell fear to just sit in the back and come along for the ride. <laughs> and so I thought well, that was such a great analogy and it kind of reminds me of... Um, yeah, multiple times in my life mm. where I've experienced anxiety or fear but just pushed through it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to take a moment to talk about one of our sponsors. I'm really pleased to announce that we have Sharp New Zealand as a sponsor. And it's great to have Sharp on board because as a customer, I can speak about their products and services from personal experience. And it feels good to be able to endorse and recommend a company because of the level of satisfaction we have regarding the services they provide. And across my businesses, we've certainly been impressed with the care and collaboration we've experienced in our dealings with Sharp. It's certainly a brand that we trust. Sharp has a long history of creating breakthrough products designed to meet the needs of people living in New Zealand. Sharp's leadership in technology innovation ensures it's at the forefront of the pack, providing business solutions from printing and photocopying to interactive meeting solutions and ICT phone systems. No matter where you are or what size your organization, whether you're large or small, 
Sharp New Zealand can provide their services to you nationwide. If you're looking to upgrade your technology or renew your photocopier leases, talk to your local Sharp team or visit the website at sharp.net.nz. So I like that analogy. That's good. I'm going to remember that one. Steal it. <laughs> um, so, so you are 19, and your daughter's uh, in your life now. And um, is it is it at that point that you are working at the bank, or have you already work at the bank afterwards? Before I can't. Before, before. so um, I fell pregnant while working at the bank on, right. uh, on my gap year. Okay. And then went, um, yeah, went to uni sure. after that. And and so during that period of time when you were you finished at the bank and you're now uh, you know a mum the most important job uh, in the world and but you have the realization that you don't want to work for anyone else. Mm. That's I mean that came pretty quick. Is yeah. that a, is that a reflection of the, the job at the bank or? <laughs> I mean, I could could say, be. Could yeah, be. It's interesting. I've had a few guests and, and myself including who you know first job was working at a bank. <laughs> Um, and no one stuck there. But anyway, um, you know, it's, you know, what was it that kind of made you think, actually, I, I don't want to work for anyone else. I just want to work for myself. Yeah. I guess the autonomy was something that, you know, when you work in corporate, you don't really have too much of. Mm. Um, and with a baby, it was like I wanted to be able to work my own hours. Mm. Um, I still wanted to be a really dedicated mother but also to not have a cap on how much income I could create. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just didn't want any of those limitations around me. I just mm -hmm. wanted to kind of be in my own lane and just create life as I wanted to create it. Yeah. And, yeah, it was, entrepreneurship. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, because you mentioned that about your parents. So, I mean, do you think that that was a significant influence? I mean, we are obviously influenced massively by our parents um, and, you know, those who we, we sort of grow up closest to. Um, so, you know, the, you, you mentioned that they were entrepreneurial and, mm -hmm. you know, had their own businesses. So do, do you think that that was a factor for you? Is that what you saw, the lifestyle that they had and, the, the, you know, what they had going on and you thought that that was a good fit for you? Yeah, I did. And that was how I grew up. So for me, it was a normal option to start a business mm. and to be self-employed. Whereas, yeah, I think possibly if I didn't grow up in a household like that, my life may have turned out very differently mm. upon reflection. Yeah. 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 So was there a, what were you, can I ask your parents, what, what businesses were they in? Was there a, because uh, my next question, I'll give you the heads up, is about why life coaching. Mm. Why did you head in that direction? You've we've hinted at, or you've hinted at, sorry, earlier in your childhood about caring for people and having that kind of you know um, compassionate side of you that you know wants to care for people or give them opportunities, that kind of thing. But was there another influence that led you down the path of coaching? Mm. Um. So I do recall, which actually I guess was the maybe the defining moment where I actually found out that there was such a thing as coaching. Um, my mother, so she was self-employed but as a real estate agent. Right. And so 
they had somebody come in who was like a 30-something-year-old woman who came in and did some form of group coaching within their office. Mm. And I remember my mum called me afterwards and was like, we just had this woman come in and do this amazing life coaching with our office. I can see you doing something just like that. And I had no idea there was even a thing called life coaching. And so, yeah, I looked it up um, and then I found that there was actually an academy on the North Shore in Auckland where we lived. And that's, yeah, kind of how I fell into it. Mm. Um, But I do remember when my parents, just as a bit of a side note, when they were, or when I was younger, they used to be in a network marketing company. Um, and they used to play all these positive cassette tapes in the car and all the, you know, I, I guess I'm reflecting now, there was probably quite a bit of like subliminal messages that came through Mm. that I must have adopted. I think just through kind of having those tapes on the background Mm. in the car. Yeah. Well, it's amazing how, how much we are influenced by other people and our environment and the things that go on around it. Mm. Uh, you know, we, I I'm, do leadership training and, and some of that, um, I rope into that about how, you know, as leaders, we're influencing the whole time. And just for, to let people understand how powerful that influence can be. You, you, you might not know it's happening. It's a bit like why I go to the supermarket for two litres of milk and come out with two bags of shopping. And I've usually forgotten the milk by the time I've got out as well. You know, it's like we're influenced the whole time. So I suppose driving along in the car hearing these cassette tapes, which gives us an indication <laughs> of how long ago that was, um, would have had an influence. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I actually now, with our two youngest, every night I put on positive affirmations as they go to sleep in the evenings. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, they can kind of have those positive subliminal messages going through mm-hmm. for them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I sort of flashback <laughs> to a, a Friends episode. I don't know if you watch Friends or not, but um, yeah. with uh, Chandler listening to tapes about his, uh, um, what was it now, a, st- a strong, confident woman. He was about to, trying to stop smoking, but <laughs> didn't realise that he was, and, and you know, obviously it's a, it's a comedy, but the fact that that tape influenced his behaviour the following day when he was waking up, it's, it shows it works. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously there's something in it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, you know, I'll carry that on with my yeah, children. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's right. So so you started um, with the, the life coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you got into that and you're starting down that track, what's that like going on a new, new venture? As a, as still as a young mum. Um, you're embarking on a new venture. Was it excite, exciting? You know, was it? Were you nervous? How how did it feel taking that step in that direction? Yeah, I mean, initially because I was working with teenagers, helping them to transition into adulthood and figure out what do they want to do. There was a bit of career coaching. Um, we looked at relationships. We looked at. Um, you know, their mindset, that was exciting for me and I felt like I was really making a difference. Mm. Um, But then when the owner of the academy that trained me as a coach asked if I wanted to set up a branch down in Tauranga, 
there was quite a bit of um, excitement, but also, oh my gosh, am I out of my depth here? Um, you know, I'd never actually really run a proper business before. And, you know, there were overheads, um, you know, I had to do sales calls, I had to market, um, you know, I had to teach and train. Um, so, yeah, there was quite a few skills that I was developing and needing to learn about and nurture within myself, um, especially naturally being quite a shy person. Yeah kind of stepping into that realm with older people who yeah. were probably like, who is this 23, 24-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I ended up being really good at it and I ended up loving it so much that I wanted to impact more and learn new skills and, you know, step more into leadership mm. and um, – yeah, working with different sorts of coaches. Yeah. There's a couple of points in there I want to pick up on as well. One, probably the latter point, about, you know, your age and the kind of people that you were working with mm. and their opinions based on um, age, kind of reverse ageism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and the reason I'm picking up on it is I had a conversation last week with someone about this that – you know, because you are of a certain age, fairly young, you haven't lived a long life, you can't therefore have as much experience as uh, someone older, so therefore what do you know mm-hmm. is a barrier to people kind of seeing young people as adding value, but also a barrier for young people to want to work with older people through that fear again. Mm-hmm. How, how was that for you? Can you describe what that was like and how you overcame it? I mean, I... I think you've indicated a little bit earlier about caring less about what people think, but you know, was again, did that experience early in your life and that decision, you know, did that kind of become a factor for you in business as well? How did you deal with that? It definitely did take quite a bit to um, kind of show up in a way that I still felt authentic, but I always kind of felt like I had to kind of show up, I don't want to say perfectly, but I did definitely put a lot of pressure on myself to show up in a certain way so that I would have, I guess, approval from, you know, the the people that I was training. And it's only recently, I think, now that I've kind of actually earned all my stripes that that imposter syndrome has kind of fallen by the wayside. Like I can genuinely say right now that I know what I'm doing and that I'm, I feel like I'm really good at what I do. Like I can actually say that, whereas before I always kind of had a bit of imposter syndrome at play. One thing, though, that um, came to me just as you were talking that I think is a benefit for younger people is that they don't have as many limiting self-beliefs around what is possible and what is not possible because I didn't have that, you know, I guess a huge amount of life experience in that space. You know, I didn't have many doors slammed in my face. I just kind of, Mm. you know, 
took opportunities, said yes to them and then figured it out and then they all kind of worked. Um, so I think that was actually one of the positives that came out of being young doing this. Yeah, I suppose having not so many no's mm. <laughs> um, or reasons. Like, I think we build over time, don't we, as we get older, not only do we get wiser, but sometimes that wisdom's kind of negatively geared because of all the setbacks, knockbacks, yeah. no's we've had or reasons why we can't do mm. things. Whereas when you're younger, you're a bit more fearless because you've not, or you seem a bit more fearless. I don't know whether you are actually fearless, but you've you've not got all of those reasons kind of weighing you down as a bit of an anchor. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So if, if we can go back to the, the business side of things, the other point I wanted to raise was, you know, you obviously had a, a natural ability and, you know, I suppose you also mentioning the fact that you feel now that um, after, a, you know, already a, a lengthy career, successful career in coaching, it's only now that you can look back and say, actually, I'm good at what I do because, you know, you're certified to a certain level and you've achieved certain things. Um, but, you know, back then when you started that business, um, you didn't have those that certification. You didn't have that qualifications. You maybe felt like you could it's something you could do, mm. um, but the coaching itself is one thing. Running a business, mm. um, as you've identified, is another, and all of that comes with wanting to do your own thing and while not working for someone else, isn't it? So, is there you know are there any lessons that you've learned in around that for? Um, not just young people, but any anyone who's looking to start a business because they're good at something, but wanted to want to do it for themselves. What kind of lessons or wisdom can you impart about about that and taking on that journey? Because we're not, you know, as we're we're a nation of small businesses, and you might be a really good plumber and you set up your own plumbing business. That's a different game completely than being a great plumber. And so is there any, have you got any thoughts or um, advice, guidance, lessons that you, you learned along the way that you could pass on? Yeah. I think for me, I get a lot of exhilaration and joy from having an idea and actually bringing that idea for life, uh, sorry, to life. Mm -hmm. It doesn't actually feel like work when I'm doing that. It's like I just have this like sense of energy and creativity within me that is kind of just spilling out. Mm. And it's like there's a fine balance between knowing exactly where you're headed and then and getting too deep into the detail. It's like when you know where you're headed but you're not too deep into the detail and the how am I going to do it, there's kind of this sweet spot and it's it's in that place where fear hasn't overcome you because you're too far into the how am I actually going to do this but you're feeling all those feelings of like commitment and um, you're energised and you're purposeful and you're dedicated, you know where you're going. So it's like making sure that you're specific enough around where you're headed but not too caught up in the specifics of the detail that 
it freaks you out and then you kind of talk yourself out of it or get mm. paralysed by the fear. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So balance, it's about balancing really, isn't it? I mean, I'm thinking as you're talking there about my journey in business and, you know, if you don't get the balance right, I don't think I did when I started um, my recent business, once so recent, you know, six years ago. <laughs> um I'm just reflecting now based on what you're saying. I'm, I'm thinking actually, you know, I, I ended up too much focused on doing the doing, yeah. which not doing the doing as in what I wanted to do and why I wanted to start the business. I ended up absorbed by running the business, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So all the things that are required in order for a business to, you know, um, exist and to be successful, there's a lot of, um, you know, plates that need spinning or balls to be kept in the air. I, I sort of, I think my balance tipped too much the other way that I was focused too much on that and not so much on the reason for wanting to get into the business. I had that realisation, you know, a couple, of, a couple of years down the track, but, you know, it was two years down the track. And I think that's the thing is maybe keeping an eye on why you wanted to go into business, what was it about, how, how can I achieve what I want to achieve without getting absorbed too much by the backroom stuff, or focusing too much on the uh, front of shop, which is front of house, which is what, I'll, what I'm good at. And because too much focus in one direction means that the balance is going to tip and it'll fall over. Mm. So does that, does that make sense to you? Or is that, am I, you know, yeah. I, I'm just thinking about you don't necessarily know how to run a business, you know, the accounting side of things. You might not be a salesperson. You might not be this, that, and the other, but you know that you want to do what you're good at or what your passion is Mm. and it's about trying to work out how can I get there and whose help do I need I think that's an important thing yeah would you agree with that absolutely yeah that's a really great point and I guess for me um what I did was as I kind of surrounded myself with a bit of a team Mm. who could do what I couldn't do And I was never shy in spending money to outsource certain aspects that were not my zone of genius. So I think, you know, if we try and do all of it ourselves and are kind of penny pinching, that's a difficult space to create real momentum in a business. Um, So it's kind of being able to have that high-level view and you know, look at, okay, these are all the aspects of the business that I'm trying to kind of bring together in a way that is going to move for, move it forward to where I'm wanting it to go. What do I love? What am I good at? What, what aspects of these do I really want to be doing in the business? And what is just going to feel like a hard slog for me if I was to do that? Okay, I'm going to outsource my bookkeeping, for example. Um, you know, or, oh, I'm you know, I, I, I've become a better writer, but I used to just employ somebody to write my ads or, you know, write certain content for marketing mm-hmm. because that's their zone of genius. And I know my marketing needs to be on point in order for us to actually move this forward. So, yeah, it's kind of like knowing what is going to be best use of your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Zone of genius. I've not heard that term before, actually. Where's, where does that come from? What's, what's, can you explain that? Yeah. 
So when I think about that term, and I'm actually not sure where I've heard it, I just have kind of used that term for a while now. But for me, it's like, what is it that kind of gets my gears going? Mm. And what is it that I feel like I am very capable of doing and have capacity to kind of nurture and grow Mm. um, and brings about, you know, joy and excitement and fulfillment. Um, That's kind of what I mean by zone of genius. Mm. It's like what can I offer into this business that nobody else can offer? And it's like focusing our energy there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the few words that you use there, you know, joy and, you know, oh, you've really got to enjoy what you do yeah. to have your own business and make a success of it. When you, you've got to be in your element. You've got to mm. love doing it and be good at it. Because if you're not one of those, then it's not likely to succeed for long, maybe. Um, or, or it might but if you're not happy, is that true success, you know? Exactly. So you um, you talked about you, for the last eight years, you've been running the most successful, largest coaching organisation in New Zealand. Is that right? Am I right mm-hmm. with that? Talk to me a bit more about, about that specific journey and what that meant to you to achieve that when you did. So it's definitely been a big journey. Um, It started off holding, you know, a lot of face-to-face trainings um, combined with some follow-up online work. Um, And, yeah, more recently with COVID, it's pretty much all turned online and became rather global. Um, for me, I've always found so much kind of passion and joy in seeing people make shifts. And so I've always kind of come back to this vision around creating a ripple effect of positive change. Mm -hmm. And so by training a leader in the skill set, for example, that is going to have an impact on their their relationships with their family, with their team, you know, and have a ripple effect through their organisation. So it always felt super in alignment and I always experienced a lot of joy um, through training. And, um, yeah, I guess when COVID happened, we had to kind of, you know, cancel a few of our face-to-face trainings, postpone, um, you know, move things online It was, you know, a bit of a mission, Mm. in all honesty. Mm. Um, And then, yeah, really focused on building my team um, over the past couple of years so that it wasn't just me doing the training. We had, you know, I have a team of 11 um, that was doing the training. And, yeah, just really started to kind of um, create 
different connections overseas, understand um, different cultures a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's quite a bit in that actually, yeah. you know. So, so just, to, just to clarify for, for people watching or listening, that you, the training was you were training people to be coaches, right? not just coaching. Correct, yeah. yeah. So training people to be a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, a, big, a big change, um, you know, from face-to-face to online. And a lot of businesses, um, including mine, had to kind of try and make that change in order mm-hmm. to survive. I think the key word that everybody used was pivot. It became <laughs> one of those words I hated hearing, to be honest with you. It's just <laughs> synonymous with COVID. But so, you know, a lot of businesses went through that. What was the impact on you having to have that kind of change of approach? Mm. Was it different um, doing this online versus face-to-face? And when I say obviously it's different, but was it different for you from a, from a feeling, joy perspective? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, there's something about... Being in a room with people face to face and just helping to kind of nurture the the collective awareness and wisdom mm. inside of that room, mm. and you know it is so potent and so powerful when that can be done really well. Mm. And when we moved online, it's a completely different way of interacting and pulling together that collective wisdom and disseminating content. Um, Because we had had global cohorts, I also had to work a lot of evenings, so my work-life balance kind of got thrown out the window. And, yeah, it it definitely shifted um, from how I felt about the first six years of doing it to the last two to to three years. Well, it, it's a real. I think it's it's an issue for workplaces globally, and I think my personal opinion on this is that um, we are all going to realise more and more as time goes on what we're missing from not being physically connected. Mm-hmm. Virtually connected is is great, and now we're all using it a lot more than what we were pre-COVID because we're so used to it, and it has its obvious benefits. Uh, from an efficiency point of view, cost point of view, saving the, the environment point of view, all of that kind of stuff. But we, in my view, we lose something. And I think, well, I know, not from my research, but from reading about research, that actually we don't get the same chemical kind of boost that we get, like an oxytocin um, hit. We don't get the same virtually as we do when we're in the room together. So the energy you were talking about that, that comes from having a team of people together or people in the same room, you know, achieving and growing at the same time. That that buzz is real. It's a biological thing that we get. Um, and, and, and it's harder to, it's not impossible, but it's harder to obtain virtually, I think. Yeah. And, and I, I think people are starting to realise that. That was why I asked that question, because I've got a genuine interest in, you know, the virtual kind of working world or hybrid working world where we work from home a lot and... Um, and then we get together now and again. You know, what's the long-term impact of, of, of that? And so, so that's yeah, that's why I was interested in that. So, what, how did that change your um, opinion about the work that you were doing? Did it? I mean, did you 
get to a point where you thought actually I, this isn't the same as what it was and I'm going to change and do something different? Yeah. Well, it's a loaded question because I know that you're doing something different, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know that, you know, and I'm, and I'm kind of wondering whether that was a factor in, you know, the reason for change. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean... Hmm. After doing something for so long, like, well, actually, let me reverse, let me backtrack a little bit. I always thought this is what I'm always going to do. I love it so much. You know, why would I ever do anything different? Mm. But over the past, yeah, two to three years, with having not much work-life balance, having, you know, global cohorts that we're running, you know, multiple cohorts at the same time all over the world, um, having a big team that I was also having to show up for and manage and um, lead and motivate them. And there was a lot that I didn't actually want. And it was kind of like I'd fallen into this position which was not really giving me that fulfillment that I had always had throughout my whole career. Mm. And so my husband and I decided that we were going to have a bit of a pause. Um, so we've just recently got back actually from a six-month caravanning family adventure around the country with our three girls, our little dog in tow. And I did minimal work while I was away um, and just really spent that time reconnecting with myself, what's important, um, what do I actually want, and just kind of you know, every morning I would wake up on whatever beach around the country that would be waking up at and I would just sit there and I would watch the sunrise and I would just have that beautiful, quiet time. And throughout that time there was, you know, a part of me that knew I didn't want to be doing what I was doing anymore. Like I knew that but I felt like I was so entwined in, in it. You know, it's what I built here. It was my baby here. You know, I took it from an, its infancy all the way to where it is now. My identity was wrapped up in being a trainer of coaches. I had a team. You know, I had, you know, globally, we have a huge team that's relying on me. The founder of, you know, Coach Masters was relying on me. Um, financially, we were relying on it um, partially. And so, yeah, I, it was like I, I was actually experiencing a lot of angst, knowing I needed to get out but feeling quite trapped in how do I do that. So... What happened was, and I think where the real turning moment for me was, is when I stopped focusing so much on, oh my gosh, 
how am I going to get out of this? I feel so trapped. You know, I can't do it. I've got to stay in it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. To, well, what do I actually want? Like, what is it that lights me up? What is it that, um, you know, that I'm good at? What have I always wanted to do? Like, maybe this, you know, being a trainer of coaches has is, isn't the be-all and end-all for me. Like, what is it that I really want? I've built all of these skill sets. I have all of these connections. Like, what do I want and what can I do? And so I guess going back to what I mentioned earlier about running retreats and how that was something that I've always kind of wanted to do, it came to me that as women, we just don't have these pauses often enough. And I guess as, you know, as leaders or business owners in general, we just don't have these pauses where we hop off the hamster wheel, we allow for the quietening of the noise, and we actually spend that time really connecting with our essential selves who we are, what we want. And I decided that I was going to create a company called Pause Retreats and was going to hold retreats for people to actually pause and spend that time reconnecting with themselves and gaining clarity on what do I want in all of this? You know, what do I actually want? And then to be supported, to not only be brave enough to move forward with that, but also to have the resources available to them to resource themselves so they can move forward. And so the angst, actually, that I was experiencing when I was kind of focused on more of how the heck am I going to get out of this thing <laughs> um it actually I started to feel those energizing feelings again it was it was quite instantaneous actually um where I kind of felt those feelings of being energized and that um the creation process like deliberately creating something from a thought and bringing that into reality has always been my favorite thing to do and being able to kind of step back into that and start creating I yeah I kind of got my zest for life back and I'm still working with coach masters just mm. in a different capacity mm. it's an incredible program and I'm still selling the program and promoting the program but I've stepped back as the Oceania Pacific Director of Training and have now moved in to running pause retreats and also um, working with C-suite and senior leaders um, through MindForge um, where we coach and have leadership training and um, also holding a couple of retreats through there now too. So, cool. yeah, I'm feeling really on purpose and, yeah, like I'm back in line in my own lane of where I'm wanting to head. It's interesting to sort of listen to your story and how things stitch together. So as a child, you were talking about 
um, not having even known what a retreat was, but you were kind of describing mm-hmm. um, that very thing. You, in a way, had a retreat yourself going on your family trip. Mm-hmm. How long were you away for? Six months. Six months. And, you know, importantly, you talked about having that time to think and reflect and the angst that you went through, um, you know, and what came out of it was needing to create that opportunity for others to do that and to have the opportunities that you or opportunity that you had and created for yourself to be able to find out, so what? Mm-hmm. So what next? Which I think is quite powerful, isn't it? The reason for doing it is because that's who you are and who you've been actually for most of your life and you've got to a point where now you can do that as a business mm-hmm. and giving other people the opportunity to, to find themselves, which is fantastic. So it's great that you've, you, you are now back in that, that zone, um, zone of genius, right? Of, <laughs> uh, being creative and creating something new. Um, and I, and I want to talk a bit more about that if I can going forward, yeah. you know, um, but just before I do, I, there was something, I, I think it was when you said, and I noticed, I think it, it takes a little bit of emotion earlier, but was something you said and you swallowed quite hard when you said it and it, and it was um, about stepping back from mm. what it is that you've been doing for the last eight years um, and, I, and I think there's some important lessons for, for people um, within that that it's it's not easy when you've mm. built something you called it you referred to it as your baby mm. um, and you know and some of the words you used like being trapped mm. it it's really hard for someone to recognize that that's what they are is, is trapped and to work out how to get out of something that's you know for, for you it was it was really successful it was it was not like you needed to get out of it because it wasn't working you were really successful at it probably you know um, overly successful <laughs> in that it started to impinge on your work-life balance as you described yeah. but making that decision to leave something that you've created you've grown is not easy but it's the right decision you know is that did that take a while to get to grips with yes have you got to grips with it yet yeah I mean I've I was saying to my husband the other day I was like I just feel so free and yeah I mean while whilst we were traveling I was yeah, I guess it was like a, like I was experiencing a lot of angst and I guess I had to tap into my courage and kind of overcome that fear of stepping into the unknown and back myself that actually I know I can do this. I've built multiple businesses before mm. I know how to do this. I've run multiple events, heaps and heaps of events before. I can do this. And I, it was amazing. Like my husband, he's like, babe, this, you know, this is well overdue. This is years overdue. Like you should have been doing this a long time ago. And he, he just said to me, like, um, like, I believe in you. You can do this. So it was kind of the combination of like mm. his support mm. and kind of not allowing my negative self-talk to get in my way 
and just like actually connect in with this is actually what I want and looking at my history and the amount of times that I've kind of achieved things that maybe at the time I didn't think I could achieve and actually just like okay yeah Sarah you actually can do this so do it. So I'm, I'm sort of feeling that the fear of stepping into the unknown was that the stronger fear or was the fear of leaving behind what you'd built the stronger of the two because you've you've like you've said you've you've done lots of things over your over your life and you've been successful at them and you started off doing things really young and you had that confidence and you just said I'm going to do it I'm capable and, and you went and did it proved it to yourself right so you've got the recipe you know how to do things so was that the biggest fear? You talk about angst while you were away. Was the angst about the fear of stepping into something new or was it more about the fear of leaving things behind? It was the fear of leaving things behind, I think, mostly. Well, there's probably a bit of both at play. Like, can I actually do this? But at the same time, I think, you know, there's a bit of grief. Like, I built this whole thing mm-hmm. here. And, you know, it's like, as I said, it was like my baby. It was like my fourth child, you know. Um, And I think the angst was also just around, like, I'm so intertwined with this. Like, it was like I'm wrapped up almost. That's how I felt anyways. And I just didn't know how to kind of get out. And... You know, I didn't want to let my team down. I didn't globally want to let anyone down. I knew financially it was taking a risk for our family. Um, There was just so many kind of aspects to it that by spending, you know, every day just kind of having that time, that quiet time to really reflect and to think things through, without just ignoring ignoring it. You know, it would have been easy to ignore it and just bury my head into work and just keep keep going on that hamster wheel. Mm. And 10 years later, I'd still be doing the same thing, 20 years or however long, you know. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was really about stepping into a space of courage mm. that enabled me to move through that angst and the key was dropping in that little piece of what am I going to create? As soon as I stepped into that piece of what am I going to create and started that process, the angst just kind of subsided. And naturally, I was able to build up the courage to make that call mm. and to step back. Yeah. So I suppose what I, why. The image in my mind there was really about the change of focus, mm. where you put your focus, your energy goes into, right? So you get more of what you focus on. Mm. So the minute you focused on what you're going to create, you stop being anxious about what you're leaving behind. Is that? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it is that whole thing around, you know, what you focus on expands. And there's such different feelings that come from, like, how am I going to get out of this to, 
oh, this is what I'm creating and it just feels so good and, you know, you get into that state of flow mm. and it's literally just that focal point. Yeah. I'm shifting that. Yeah. You, you mentioned negative self-talk. Mm. I, think, I think this is important to talk about because in some respects, um, maybe incorrectly, I think, um, someone like yourself who's a you know, coach, international qualifications, the youngest coach with the qualifications you've got in the world and built this um, great business and you've trained how many people to be coaches? Yeah, oh, yeah, 1,000 or 2,000 or something yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. So, you know, excuse my language, but, you know, someone looking at you would... would think you've got your shit together you would know you know everything would be lined up and everything would be perfect mm. but you're human aren't you so mm. <laughs> it's just because you are in that industry mm. um doesn't mean that you don't feel the things that people who are not in that industry who don't have that qualification who don't have that ability to coach and help other people through those kind of situations and times um, doesn't mean that you don't experience that, and clearly you've you've shared that with us, which is which is great. So, what I'm interested in though is how did you use what you know to help you through that process, and did you involve anyone else in that? You know, yeah. what was your kind of process for going through that? So I have my own coach um, and I had monthly sessions with her and was just kind of, yeah, like just working through this process. I didn't want to rush it. Mm. Like I didn't just want to make the call and then have everything kind of fall to pieces. I just, I wanted to make sure it was actually what I wanted. Um, so having her as a sounding board was really valuable. Um, and also, I guess, like, what did serve me was being aware of how I was looking at the situation, like being able to actually have that awareness. Um, so I would be able to notice, okay, how am I looking at this right now? Is this serving me? You know, how might I look at this differently? Um, you know, what beliefs are at play here? What values am I really wanting to be in alignment with? Which of my values have been um, impacted or are being impacted currently, which is making me want to kind of get out? Mm. Um, yeah, so I guess just having like a heightened self-awareness was really powerful and I didn't judge myself either for kind of going through this. I didn't beat myself up. I was just kind of, just kind of gently kind of going through the process that I needed to go through. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So high level of consciousness. I think, you know, there's some real lessons in there for, for everyone. Being aware, self-aware, how am I feeling? What's impacting on that? It's, I think it's it's a real problem for a lot of people, and I've been there and done that myself. Where you you end up doing the doing so much every day, you get up, you do the same things every day, you feel the same way, it becomes you become normalised to it. But you, you, it's not until you stop and look at where was this taking me? Is it where I wanted to go? Am I on the right track or not? 
It's not until you do that that you can start to question and see, well, maybe I'm not, and make conscious decisions about where to next. Yeah. And so I, w I want to ask you, um, you've alluded to it a couple of times, and I did say we'd come back to this. <coughs> Excuse me. And I was jokingly talking about this when you spent your honeymoon money on going for training, but um, your relationship with Dan mm. um, and with your, your parents and other people who are close to you, um, you've obviously got a strong support network there. Mm. How important has that been for you to follow what you want to do with your life? Big, I think. Um, having someone that's kind of in your corner and is willing to back you and just kind of journey with you is something that I think has definitely helped in, well, throughout my whole career, but especially throughout this time. Um, yeah, my husband has always been my biggest support and, you know, we've grown so much over the past 17 years. But I'm the same for him. It's like we are just journeying together, trying to have the coolest, most epic life that we can have and just be in our own lane, kind of creating it together, you know, separately but together. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the support network is definitely a big thing. But I think at the same time, even if I didn't have Dan, just by creating that space for myself to hop off the hamster wheel and to really listen to myself, I still probably would have ended up doing the same thing. Might have taken a bit longer, but yeah, it, I probably would have ended up. So, so what is the what does the future look like mm. for Sarah? You've started um, your pause retreats business. What's your future aspirations? You're still very young, obviously, and you've got a you know long life ahead of you, a long career ahead of you. What does it look like? And what's your what's your what are your goals and aspirations at this point? Yeah, it's a good question. And I kind of, while, whilst we were away, I said to my husband, let's look at our life in stints. Okay, we've just done our caravan stint. You know, prior to that, I was doing my CMA stint. Now we're up in Pahoya. We're doing our Pahoya stint. Mm. But we have so many things that we want to do. Like, we haven't written a bucket list, but there are so many different things I want to experience and so you know for me running these retreats bring me so much joy like the the first one that we ran um I've never felt more aligned to anything in my life I was able to kind of have like the structure of what I was taking them through but I could just speak from this place of um, authenticity and knowing and um, just it just felt so natural and the transformations that I saw people go through just brought yeah just brought so much kind of like light to my heart you know 
Um, so I will definitely be running more of these mm. um, with a couple of um, our, our top coaches who were in my team at CMA. We've gone off and we've created MindForge as well. Um, they're agile coaches. And so we've, um, yeah, we're also running some leadership type retreats and um, doing some, you know, high-end kind of leadership training and coaching as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll continue doing that too and who knows where that's, where that's going to go. Mm. Um, but I'm enjoying, yeah, working alongside people actually um, and, yeah, I think, you know, just I've got quite a good work-life balance at the moment. Mm. You know, for a while there I wasn't seeing the kids much, which was really difficult. Mm. So, yeah, picking them up from school and having lovely evenings together. Mm. We live right on the beach and we've got a um, a little dog and a lamb that we, you know, sometimes take for walks. Our lamb thinks she's a dog. And <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it feels like a very nice wholesome kind of lifestyle. And, yeah, we've got some properties that we're developing. Um, so my husband Dan is really just on purpose with the mahi that he's doing. Mm. Um, and he's really feeling really connected and, and aligned with that. Mm. Um, and would like to do more travel. Um, yeah, just experience and expand and just like have fun. I want my life to be fun. Yeah, it sounds already sounds like fun. It's pretty so, fun. That's good. That's <laughs> good. So life's work is about, you know, the podcast is really about three things. And you've talked about your life which we're grateful for, and, and you work. The third thing is about legacy. Mm. So, you know, if you're kind of sitting on the porch, <laughs> rocking chair at some point in the distant future, looking back, what would you want your legacy to, to be? What would, you know, what's the, what's it all been for? It's hmm, a really good, a good question. I think mostly for my kids to see that anything is possible for them and for us to have lived a very full, expansive, um, fun, fulfilling life where we've been able to create it however we wanted to, not based on societal expectations or what we should be doing, but for us to have actually lived true to creating our life however we want to create it mm. and for me to look back and think, yeah, we did that. Yeah, fantastic. Sarah, it's been great having you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to me today and um, to share um, your life's work and your story. Uh, I've learned a lot from it and I'm sure a lot of other people will. I wish you every success in everything that you do from here on in. I know that you will be anyway. You're not going to settle for anything less than success. Um, but thank you. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us today. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Cool. In this episode, I talk with Sarah Devereaux. And while Sarah is still young, certainly compared to me, She has already filled her life with some amazing achievements and is living life the way that she wants to live it. As you'll hopefully know by now, if you've seen other episodes, this segment of the podcast is about wisdom worth sharing. 
At the end of every interview, I'll look back as part of the editing process and discover some of the gems that came out in the conversation and summarize them here. Sarah shared with us that she and her partner had become teenage parents and that instead of this blessing holding their careers back in any way, their situation became the motivation for them to succeed. It drove them to make decisions they may not have made if they hadn't have had a young family to support. Decisions which ultimately have resulted in them both being successful in their own right. Sarah has started a number of successful businesses. She's the youngest person to attain master certified coach credentials through the International Coaching Federation. And between them, now 17 years on in their relationship, the couple own multiple properties and have been in a position to be able to take six months off and travel as a family with their three daughters to discover what the next phase of life could be like. Sarah talked quite a bit about the need to do this, to take a pause and just be, in order to reflect and find her essential self. There were several important lessons within this segment of the interview. One was recognising that even when you have created a business, you've built it from the ground up and you've turned it into a successful machine, when you are no longer doing what you intended to do within the business and possibly no longer enjoying it, maybe it's time to reflect and ask yourself, is this still the right thing for me to be doing? We discussed the need to be in your element, enjoying your business, because if you're not, and even if the business is doing well, can you say that you are truly successful? Now, I've always said that there's only two reasons why people do anything. One is to gain something, and the second is to avoid a loss. It's hard to let go of things that you already have, so the strongest emotions are usually involved in avoiding a loss. And as Sarah said, it was the fear of losing something, letting go of what she had created that was the strongest emotion for her. It was holding her where she was. It wasn't the fear of what's coming next. While Sarah was in it, she couldn't see a way out of it. And I think this applies to any situation that is, for whatever reason, causing us angst. If we are too close, it's hard to have any kind of objectivity. So our logical and rational thinking is impeded by our emotions. Sarah needed to get away, to be able to see her business from a different perspective. When she was able to look from the outside in, or actually not even be looking at all, instead being in the moment enjoying her family, that's when clarity came to her. And that was that she wasn't where she was supposed to be. Allowing her mind to sort things out in the quiet of her pause away from everything made the obvious next step so much easier. Not easy, but easier to take. Although still somewhat emotional thinking about it, she was able to make the decision to step away from the baby that she had grown and start another business opportunity. One more aligned with where her values and goals were now. Interestingly, her new venture, Pause Retreats, is exactly what she did for herself. And I'm sure it will be a success because who couldn't benefit from a pause away from everything? You could say that this was a brave move, but after listening to Sarah's story, we shouldn't be surprised of her bravery or her tenacity to make things work. As Sarah described, her attitude is, feel the fear and do it anyway. After becoming a young mum, she decided that she wasn't just going to get any old job for any old company. 
She left her role at the bank as a teenager after just one year, and she's never looked back. She said she needed to be in control of her destiny, be able to be the best mum that she could be, but also not be limited or capped in what she could earn. And that meant she needed the flexibility, freedom, and unlimited scope that only her own business could provide her. So that's what she did. Sarah also mentioned that the support of her family when it came to finding her way in life was important, with her mum calling her from work one day to say that she'd seen a coach and she thought that Sarah could be great at that. Sarah had never heard of life coaching before that call. Her mum was a catalyst to a great career because she was able to see in her daughter the skills and attributes that would make a good coach. And it turns out that Sarah became a great coach, one of the best. This demonstrates how important it is for us as parents, co-workers, leaders and managers to look for and point out the attributes of those around us because they may not realise what they're good at or what possibilities lay ahead for them. So yes, Sarah's mum believed in her, but also and most importantly, Sarah believed in herself. She just needed a direction to head in and her mum helped her with that. Even before being a coach, Sarah was using the kind of advice on herself that she would give others in later in life. But without even realising, that was what she was doing. I believe her natural ability to self-reflect and understand her own behaviour and motivation is what has contributed to her being such a great coach for so many people over the last decade. An example of this is being conscious, even at such a young age, to know that people would probably be talking about her being a teenage mum, but having the ability to recognise this for what it is and to decide not to pay any attention to what anyone else is thinking. In my view, this has played a significant part in enabling Sarah to build the life she has now. Unfortunately, we are not all conscious enough to be able to do this, but it's powerful if we can, now more so than ever. We live in a world where opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. And they all have the tools and mechanisms in social media to share theirs, whether anyone's interested or not. We all need the ability to switch that off and not be affected by it. Far easier said than done, I know. But think about this. How much time are we spending worrying about the thoughts and opinions of people we don't even know or like? And what is the impact of that? How often do we say we don't have the, enough time to do the things that could make a positive difference to our lives? but yet we can spend hours each day on the opinions of others that make no difference to us, except they rob us of the time that we cannot get back. Maybe that's worth a pause and some reflection too. I hope you enjoyed listening to Sarah's story as much as I did, and hopefully you've been able to take something away that you can apply to some aspect of your life, work, and legacy. Use it. Share it with others. Sharing is like teaching, and it helps cement things in your mind. And it helps us commit to change, which is always required if we're going to enhance our life's work. I wish you well for the future. I hope you are happy, safe, and successful in all that you do. And remember, live a life that is a story worth retelling. I'm Steve Worsley, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Life's Work, the podcast all about wisdom worth sharing.